A reboot of Project Greenlight recently was released on Max, formerly known as HBO Max, and I wanted to talk about it, right? I wanted to deep dive my thoughts about it, especially as a filmmaker, right? So first off, it's a reboot because instead of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon really spearheading it, it's this time Issa Rae, as well as Camille Nanjani and uh, Gina Prince, the director of Love and Basketball, and uh, more recently, The Woman King, which is a phenomenal movie, right? And they have two goals for Project Greenlight this season. Number one, have a woman director, because there's never been a woman director on on the show. Now, granted, it's not had that many seasons to begin with, but still... uh, something that needed to be rectified. Number two, the Project Greenlight movies of the past have not been great. So they wanted to make an actual movie that worked on its own, and it wasn't just about the show. So, you know, I'm not someone who's seen all the Project Greenlights. I've actually only seen the last season before this. Um, And... Yeah, that one was very much problematic. Um, The movie itself actually wasn't, in my opinion, like, as far as its humor, I vibed with its humor to a a lesser extent, but no, it wasn't a perfect movie. Um, And it's an interesting relationship to have with this show as a filmmaker because while it purports itself as a docu-series... It, it's more reality TV than anything. And I'm not saying they make up stuff, but I think certainly they film various things, you know, and they're less focused on the true behind-the-scenes making of and really pulling back the curtain. Like, it's not a featurette that you might get as a bonus feature on a Blu-ray. It very much is more of a reality show, and you know, you get the curtain pulled back every now and then. So I think that's a key part to this, even though, you know, Issa Rae's team at one point within the season does say like, hey, we're not trying to stir up drama. You know, we're not doing things for the show. Uh, We really feel in our heart of hearts that X, Y, and Z have to, you know, be done. And I believe them, but it doesn't mean as again you can still go in within that like the actors quote unquote um and i i use that term because of like you know you can have bad actors and so forth um as a as a, as a phrase of turn uh more than the actual use of actor but anyway i digress the point being that however well-intentioned people are as far as you know the sh- the quote unquote docuseries itself however it's edited will sculpt it, right? I mean, I can only imagine how much footage that they have of this entire making of and, you know, what they're able to do with that. And in fact, as the show was progressing, I was wondering if we would actually get to see them shooting the movie, let alone post-production. Because as it stands, most of the conflict that is presented in the uh, show itself, Project Greenlight, is about the pre-production aspects of it. And, you know, yes, we do get the uh, the filming days, but it's truncated 
and then post-production is even more truncated. And it's not even really post-production, it's more of just editing, right? So um, as far as that, I mean, it's still an interesting look and, and I grapple with it, you know, because I wanna, I wanna learn stuff. And to do that as a filmmaker, I try to put myself in the shoes of the filmmaker, in this case, Miko Winbush, who you know, had to go on this journey. And what would I, I be like, right? So taking a quick step back, you know, their goal was to find a female director. And one of the cool parts was you know, they selected 10 finalists and they gave each of them a budget of $5,000 to make a short film, essentially a scene from the movie. So as I recall, they just got that one scene that they were gonna shoot and they didn't get the full script. And so they went out and shot that scene. And I think that's a good barometer to gauge, you know, um, because obviously they knew the context of the script and so they could judge it more so on how they interpreted the script, right? Now, afterwards, after doing this, then I believe they, you know, then I know they got the script for sure. Um, and then essentially it turned into a pitch meeting where these 10 directors, their short films, these scenes would be screened and uh, afterwards they would come in and give their vision for the full film, right? And that was, that was an interesting process because, you know, uh, again, it's all truncated, so we don't get to see all of it, but this idea that, you know, okay, who's the best filmmaker, but then did they pitch well? Because it seemed like Miko was far and above technically solid with her movie. She executed really well, but then when it came down to meeting her, she wasn't able to communicate as articulately as they would have hoped. And the fascinating part to me is, you know, so perhaps th that was a red flag for them. They chose to ignore it and, you know, went with her, went with Miko. And as the, as the episodes progress, the, the main source of tension kept being the script on everyone's end. And from what was conveyed, it didn't seem like Miko was solution oriented. And again, this is where I try to put myself in her shoes. I try to have empathy, but at the same time, you know, okay, how would I go about it? And I can kind of look at my own experience and say, it's very uncomfortable to get various notes and be thrown in those situations. But I know afterwards, my mind automatically starts to go into, okay, cool, these are the issues, so how do I fix them? And she did have a writer, his name was Phil, um, which is also my name, so it might get a little confusing, but Phil the writer, you know, uh, she had him as a resource, and, and so it would have been very interesting to me, as they're going on this journey with this script, how much he just wasn't able to address, because he was in the rooms when a lot of these notes were being given by the producers and perhaps even, the, as I recall, the studio at one point. And how much was he just not able to come up with solutions versus Miko perhaps shooting it down and so forth? Because 
it seemed like, you know, not only did the various producers raise concerns as far as the script, you know, whether or not their solutions were good is beside the point. I, you know, I'm not going to judge that one way or the other. But they at least brought solutions, whereas Miko, she did the, the thing you're not supposed to do and just shot down an idea without necessarily having a solution. And having seen Grey Matter, which is the movie that they made, uh, those things are apparent, you know? Uh, just So let me talk about the movie, the final product itself, and then we'll kind of reverse engineer, right? Um, even though for me, I did watch Project Greenlight in its entirety and then watch the movie. So it's one of those things, you know, would these things have been in my mind without seeing the show and had I just seen the movie? And my gut says yes. You know, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, I'm pretty good at critiquing stuff and my sensibilities were there. And so on the macro side, the movie felt small, right? It's, it's about people with powers and them living in this world and it wants to be bigger than it is but it feels so constricted right so how are they interacting with the outside world and i i remember the short film that our professor in film school showed us at emerson college and it was about like this apocalyptic world and yet it all the short film all took place on this farm so very isolated environment and yet through the use of various techniques such as like just radio and like PA announcements in terms of emergency broadcasts and so forth, um, they were able to make the world feel connected and, and you know, you got a sense that this is a family in a much bigger world, right? With a much bigger situation and we're just seeing their story. Whereas this felt they were constrained by the budget and so they couldn't make those connections, which is fine, except, you, again, when you have a superhero-type movie, there's larger ramifications. And the closest like I can describe this movie to is like New Mutants, which wasn't a great movie and not many people saw, but that's kind of what it's pretty much like, except... Grey Matter really hinges on a mother-daughter dynamic. The mother has powers and she's trying to protect her daughter um, from being essentially experimented on and so forth. The issue is it never really resolves that. Like, their bond... You know, I understand that there's animosity with them at the beginning, but it should be resolved by the end. And it never really comes to that sort of conclusion which is a big issue, all right? So it's like, why do we care about these people? Major issue number one. Number two, the rules of the world and their powers get, you know, it's a little bit arbitrary. You know, at first it, it, it seemed like it was pretty contained and part of me as I was watching the first, let's say 30, perhaps even 40 minutes, I was like, okay. Uh, I was like, maybe I disagree with HBO Max and Hooray and, um, and, and Catchlight about all these notes. You know, it's, it seems like it's making sense. 
And then after 40 minutes, all of a sudden, it just like took it to another level. And, and yeah, it, it, it just started devolving, right? And it was like, okay, um, I, I think I understand, but it's not really clear. And it seems to benefit the story more so than it's actually within the world that this has set up. So, and, you know, just kind of even going granular, um, there's the character of Derek, who's the main antagonist, and the big reveal happens towards the end of what happened in the past. And I'm left wondering, well, why did he let Isla leave? You know, if he knew that she was a danger and he wanted to contain her, he essentially let her leave. Which is a big plot hole. It's like, why did that happen? Why didn't he just capture her right then and there or kill her or, or anything of that nature? Um, so yeah, I mean, overall, slightly under 90 minutes. Like, what, what works for the movie is, from a technical perspective, it fires on all cylinders. It looks great. It sounds great. It's edited well. The acting, you know, with what's given is phenomenal. So I can't fault any of that. So Miko shows that she has the technical ability. But none of that really means anything until you can handle the story. And she was given six weeks of prep on the movie. So that includes post-production as well as development of the script. And it's just one of those, you know, to me, this is where, like, I salivate at the mouth because, to me, it's like to have six weeks of just full-time prep, 18 days to shoot it, with a $3.5 million budget. Now, I've seen different reports on, on Variety. They're saying it was five. In the show, they say 3.5. I don't know. But let's just go with 3.5 regardless. And then 10 weeks to edit it full-time, you know, just for your cut, plus, you know, final weeks of uh, getting picture lock based on studio notes. And I'm not sure how much they were given for, you know, sound design, color correction, VFX, and so forth. Um, but, you know, regardless. The point being that, to me, that's an amazing, like, I know in the show, the irony was like, they kept saying, we know it's not a lot. We know it's not a lot. You know, we're time constrained. We're financially restrained. And in the back of my mind, I'm having made two movies, the most recent one being essentially $30,000 shot in Colombia and Bogota um, with like literally 87 different locations. I'm like, yo, what I could do with that money and that time, because, you know, both my movies were made on the side, essentially, you know, um, in addition to not only my full-time job, but any side gigs and stuff like that. And so to be able to, like, just completely focus on that, whoo, you know. And I'm not saying Miko, you know, didn't do a great job. Like, again, that's, that's the hard part. It's we're only shown very select pieces of a much, much, much larger whole. So as far as what the real truth is, I'm not saying what was shown is not truthful, but it's just the complete truth. Still, you know, based on the way it was presented, 
it's one of those Miko didn't seem to take responsibility to um, as far as the script and anything like that. Now, she pushes back against some of the criticism of the show. Uh, a, a recent Variety article came out, which I've linked to in the description. You can read it and you know get her thoughts on the mentors, which she really enjoyed. Uh, she really bonded with Gina in particular. Um, you know, she talked about this idea that she's not a hard worker, um, but she said, you know, that's false, that she is a hard worker, um, and things of that nature. And, and it's one of those things, like, the way the show presents it, it's like, you got to bleed for your art, you know, it's nonstop. And I just don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. You know, I've done past episodes about, I think there's a difference between pushing yourself and others to, you know, their limit, you know, like, like, like in sports, trying to like get a personal record, right? We call it PR, um, versus just abusing people, right? And creating toxic work environment. And so, you know, I do applaud Miko every now and then she needed her personal space. And I think, you know, we look at, in a hustle culture, we can look down upon that, but I think there's nothing wrong with that because I, having that time to rest and away from it can actually serve you well. You know, but you have to utilize it, right? And, 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 and know how to do that. And also know that at times, that's not always going to be the luxury that you're afforded. Uh, certainly, you know, it is true, like, on an indie level with the movies that I've made, because of what's required, I try to very much lead by example, you know? So I would I never ask anyone to do anything that I wouldn't be willing to do. And I'm there, you know, with the movies that I've done so far every step of the way. <laughs> you know, and to that effect, like, having um, a team that she had, again, that's something that, that I would salivate over. Because for the most part, yes, I have a team that I've done these movies with, but we're a small and mighty team. Like, and everyone's wearing multiple hats. And again, they're, um, they're dividing their time between their stuff as well as this. Whereas to have a dedicated you know, production designer, cinematographer, costume designer, you know, script supervisor, whatever, right? Uh, assistant director, like, that would be a godsend. So, so all that to say, like, I am conflicted because, you know, there's a pathway to success through this. And I'm very much from the Rob Rodriguez school of, uh, you know, he very much knows how to stretch a budget and so forth. Um, same thing with, like, Richard Linklater and use creativity instead of money as the solution. And I think looking at it just from the audience perspective, when you have that many minds coming to the table and providing you notes, to me that would be a blessing. And I think where the show indicated that there was a disconnect was, well, Miko had this vision. She couldn't necessarily articulate it. Um, 
And that's what frustrated the producers. And so then when she didn't take their notes, they were upset. Because at the end of the day, you know, when you get notes, as, as the show says, like, you got to be able to justify for not taking them, right? And with my own recent movie, I remember um, as we were, like, revising the script and so forth, I pretty much took every note and addressed it, ex- with the exception of one particular one, which was there was a subplot um, towards, like, three-quarters in that really took over for a couple of pages, maybe like five, six pages, which amounts to about five, six minutes. And every, you know, with the exception of a select few that truly understood what I was going for, everyone else kept looking at it and be like, cut that, you know, it just slows down the, the, the movie. Um, it's, it's your secondary characters. It's not your main characters. We're only focused on the main characters. And that's where I fought back, and I was like, you guys just don't understand. This, without this, it's just a run-of-the-mill type of movie. Whereas with this, it enhances it in such a way you just can't see it. And part of that was, you know, when you write a script, you can have five characters in a scene, but you're only focused on the ones in the script in terms of the action lines, the ones that are really driving the scene. Now, you might throw in a, like, you know, someone reacts such and such a way, you know, shocked, horrified, whatever it may be, to indicate, you know, certain key elements. But I knew in my mind that the way we would shoot it, all these characters would be in the background, and, and, and that would also be telling the story, you know, in the way I would direct it. And so then when it came time for that secondary plot, it was counterpoint to the main storyline, and it elevated both, and it gave you an understanding of the main protagonist relationship, and so forth. And when we screened it, that's what really enhanced it. And in fact, everyone who gave me that note, they were like, I'm so glad you kept that in. You were correct. So all that to say is, you know, when you know what you're going for, then, then you know what you need to hold on to and what can be changed. Right, and ultimately, that's the tough part to discern as far as the show is concerned. Of, you know, what are actual notes, and what are not. You know, I, I wasn't purry to Miko's vision, but unfortunately, it seemed like neither was anybody else. And when you're working with people in that capacity, you know, um, for me, whether I work with the actors, you know, whether I work with you know, my crew or just anyone from the outside kind of helping me out and giving me feedback, any question or criticism that is raised is an opportunity for me to defend a certain choice. And if I can't defend it, probably needs to be addressed, right? So with the notion of the secondary, you know, plot that I was mentioning as far as my movie, that I knew exactly how to defend and I knew how to justify like pure and simply if even if no one else got it I knew that that was that but everything else some of it I could justify some of it was like okay I could justify but I understood why it wasn't coming across as strongly as it needed to so let me rework that yada 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 right so to me I'd look at any of that stuff as an opportunity 
you know, no different than when I'm having a, you know, in my mind, I can think of and contemplate many things about life in general, you know, whether it be politics or philosophy and so forth. But it isn't until I talk it out with other people that, you know, confront my ideas, show their weaknesses and so forth, and perhaps gets me to change my mind or just allows me to think about and build a stronger argument, right? So, yeah, that's kind of, uh, you know, just that in general. Now, as the show was progressing, what's interesting to me was they seemed to be butting heads with Miko, and, and, and from their perspective, they, she wasn't delivering. Now, you know, it's not unheard of in the Hollywood system to fire a director and bring on some, someone new. And so I know, like, that would have been a gamble because they're already stretched for time. But if they really felt like they weren't getting, like she wasn't changing stuff, I would have been curious to see, you know, the second choice be called in and step in, right? Now, I've hinted at this, but to really drive it home, to have a crew in your face for all this it's a lot, right, you know, to, to do all this. Now, I'm someone that wouldn't necessarily mind it, I don't think, um, simply because I would think of it as an opportunity to really, to really peel back the curtain. Although, again, that's the catch-22, maybe not the right phrase, but, you know, the cost-benefit analysis of going on Project Runway, or not Project Runway, Project Greenlight, you know, there's this idea that, yes, it's a wonderful platform. It's a wonderful opportunity. You know, you get, you get, I mean, certainly for me, it would be the most money ever to make a feature film. And this, for Miko, certainly was. I mean, this was her first feature film. So, you know, there's that. But obviously, you can be exposed, right? And even if you do overall really well, again, there's just enough stuff in even from my own experience, I would not want to be judged on my darkest moments, right? Which, you know, happens to all of us in stressful environments. And I could see this, you know, anytime you're making a movie, it could be stressful. So how much of that is an accurate portrayal versus not? Again, that's why, to me, it's more of a reality show than an actual docuseries because... You know, as Miko points out in the Variety article, they're not showcasing fully what a production designer does and what they brought to the movie. They're not showcasing, you know, what uh, the cinematographer thought about. And, you know, we're very much focused on Miko. And yes, she's the protagonist, but it's not kind of like a how to really pulling back the curtain. Like, pulling back the curtain is secondary to, you know, kind of the dynamic, the interpersonal dynamics of everything, right? So it's interesting, um, you know, and the, as I said, the bulk of the series is really about the development and then finally towards the, the, the later bit, we finally get into filming. We don't get as much Miko there, um, more so in the sense like the producers wanted her to do different takes of the actors with different emotions and here's again it's it's 
without all the information. But for me, this is where I actually would push back against the producers. You know, my mindset being the Robert Rodriguez, Richard Linklater style filmmaking, which is you commit to choices early on and that saves you time and money and you know exactly what you need and what you're going to shoot, right? So admittedly, Miko did say they didn't get all the coverage that they wanted all the time. And I think that's also was why they didn't get like different tones for, you know, various performances. But looking back on it, like that wasn't the issue with the movie, you know, the, the tone was not it. It's, it's a much more structural problem. And so, you know, for me, I don't, I don't know. (coughs) There's that notion in filmmaking that's like you want options in the edit room. To some degree, yes, you do. But I think if you've really thought ahead of it ahead of time, it's okay to paint yourself in the, uh, the corner because in that sense, just getting different stuff is lazy, I, you know? And it's also costly and time consuming. Whereas if you know what you need, you can speed up the process. I mean, that's how we shot for us, you know, in Colombia for 12 days, 87 different locations, we're able to do it because I knew, you know, I mean, generally we would do one, two takes max. I mean, uh, of any particular coverage because I knew what I was getting and, you know, I wouldn't run the scene all the time. I, you know, if there's like a specific moment that I want, then I would just get that specific moment and that's it. And we would be moving on just, just like that. And part of that is I have an editing background. So I'm always thinking how this cuts together. Like, what do I need and what don't I need? Right. So it was interesting to watch the making of, and certainly I think there's a big differentiation in terms of when you have a crew that films the behind the scenes for most movies, right? Like featurettes and stuff like that. I imagine, right, that they're a lot less intrusive than the Project Greenlight crew was. So I understand that, why that could be difficult. Um, and obviously, you know, that seemed to be the main sort of issue was, I mean, and there's a whole episode, Project Greenlight versus Gray Matter, I believe is what the episode is called. So there's a lot to, you know, think about in terms of that, but yeah, where the movie fails is not in the technical aspects. I thought they, they did well with that stuff. And then they got to post-production. Um, as I said, it's, it was less, I mean, if anything, it was more focused on the editing, which the editing helps shape the story, but editing is not all post-production, right? There's Foley, there's sound design, there's music, color correction, the VFX. We got none of that, which I understand for the most part um, would involve like Miko the least. Um, so, and then the movie came out and, you know, yeah, I think all things considered, you know, this is one of those movies that like, to me, looks like 
for half for half a million seven fifty could have been done in some sense. Like, and that that's what kind of like again. I think it's just through creativity you could have solved a lot of the the things and made the world a little bit more expansive. Um, but all the same, I do think certainly from at least comparing it to the only other Project Greenlight movie that I've seen, um, even though I like that one from a story perspective better, certainly this one technically is a lot more ambitious and just phenomenal. So I think it succeeds in that way. The last thing I sort of wanted to touch upon was COVID is very much like a part of you know, what's going on in the background. And some people are wearing masks, some people aren't. Um, there's the Miko potential COVID scare. And it, if anything, it would have been just interesting to like understand, for lack of a better term, the rules of that, because that seemed rather inconsistent. Uh, you know, again, were some people wearing masks just because voluntarily or were they required to? Were they testing each day on set? And was that another complicating factor? Was it not? I don't know, right? So, and if anything, it, it, it kind of makes it seem... I don't know, because there's the whole notion that, that Hollywood can be preachy, right? And when it can't, comes to COVID, you know, mask up, do your part, blah, 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 be safe. And then, you know, if you see this and you don't understand, it's like, well, what the fuck kind of rules were they following? And like, yeah, your head would be left spinning and almost infuriated of like, wait, I had to do X, Y, and Z, but you guys didn't have to do that and why? So the timeline of how it all works and what the rules were were a little bit unclear. So it, it just would have been nice, in my opinion. But I think in general, that covers most of my thoughts on Project Runway and Grey Matter. I wanted to do this because as a filmmaker, you know, I just want to talk about it. And I invite you to t discuss it, you know? I don't want this just to be a one-way conversation and you can be a filmmaker, you don't have to be a filmmaker. I invite you, you know, comment down below or hit me up on social media. You know, let me know what you agree with, let me know what you disagree with, let me know perspectives that I haven't considered yet. You know, there's many angles to this. Certainly, these are not all of them. But yeah, as a reality show, it works and it's enjoyable, but I don't necessarily look at it like a how-to, you know, that I would on a, of a Blu-ray featurette, you know, like for example, Avatar The Way of Water, like the, the, the making of feature stuff on, on that, whoo, is amazing and I love it, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's what I got for you. Thank you for taking the time to tune in and, and hear what I have to say and I'll see you next time.